Galileo Russell, founder of HyperChange, star of HyperChange TV. Uh, did I introduce you correctly, bro? Is that is that the best? Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> I what feel up? you. What up? What up? What, honored to be on the Cam Beacon Show, dude. Honored to have you. Honored to have you as one of the one of the early guests. Uh, recording this before we're even live with a real episode out. So that's a lot of trust in me and in, in what I'm doing. So I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Totally. We were talking before we got on, you know, I, I, I have really been admiring what you've been doing with, with hyperchange and just everything that you do for, for a minute. So being able to, to bring you on has kind of been definitely the, the episode I've been look, looking forward to the most for sure. For sure. So dude, that's awesome. And I've, I have a kind of a mutual respect where like, it's so funny to see my world of like this finance stock nerd, but I'm also putting out videos on YouTube. So I get right. to connect with like rappers and all, you know, people doing stuff that I think is so out of my world, but so cool and fascinating. But also like we're both putting out this online content, distributing it to our fan bases, kind of our entrepreneurs in our own way. So different worlds, but kind of the same world in parallel. It's kind of, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but it feels like to me the hyper change kind of concept in a way where it's like we're in this new time where people are being creative. The lines are blurred between industries, between all these different um, avenues that, that people kind of create and work and exist online and put out content and everything like that. And that seems to be your whole, you know, part of your whole like kind of vision of, of kind of what, you, what you've been seeing happen over the last decade and, and your hyperchange idea. I'm curious if you can kind of break that down a little bit and maybe let, let yeah. people know a little bit about what you do. Totally. I mean, you know, hyperchange is this theory that I came up with that like, you know, hyperchange, the world's changing faster than ever and every industry is kind of getting shattered. I even wrote a book called like a scheme of consciousness. It's kind of like an unedited poetry kind of book about this, but exactly what you said. Like, I think, you know, people are talking about life sucks. I hate the president. You know, I really believe this has never been a better time to be alive and be an artist. And we're going to go through an incredible creative renaissance 2.0 right now. And it's like, oh, D as that sounds, this is the, that's firmly what I believe. Like you as a rapper and as just kind of a, you know, creative artistic person who wants to be out there has all these tools available, YouTube, podcasts, the ability to monetize them is getting easier and easier. Um, so I just think it's the golden era for this artist entrepreneur kind of person to kind of do it all, have, you know, make your music, do your podcast. And that's what really inspired me of like, wow, like I was investing. I didn't vie with anybody in investing school. Um, I went to NYU. Everybody's trying to go to Goldman Sachs. Like I came from like reading the Warren Buffett book. Like I'm about to find the next great company and like put all my money into it. And we're going to change the world. And these guys are like, how can I get the dopest internship? You know, which oil company can I raise money for yeah. and screw over? And, and I hated that. And so I kind of veered my own way and started making YouTube videos about stocks, even when that wasn't really a thing, but kind of just fam found my own lane that way of like, yeah, I don't have to work for a bank to have ideas. I don't have to work for a hedge fund. I can just put them out on the internet and these tools exist where I can monetize that work in a different way. Um, and I always thought a million followers is going to be worth more than a billion dollars managed. And that is the, that's the contrary and take I have with everyone else in finance right now. Mm, I like that. Uh, so I don't manage money. I'm, I only work for myself. And uh, so, yeah, so we'll see how it goes. So what do you think were the the seeds that kind of planted this this change that you're talking about? I mean, we went through a lot of different things over the last few decades, you know, the the housing crisis, the innovation and in technology, is it all this stuff kind of culminating together that's led to this new kind of peak in in technology that's that's creating the world that you're talking about or what what are the forces at play that have that have led us to here? You know, really simply the internet. I think we just take for granted how big of an innovation that is that you can connect with any the fact that I can connect, communicate and do business with 7 billion people instead of the 7 people in this room. 
that is just the effect that's going to play out for our entire lifetime. And I still think we're in the infancy of realizing how disruptive it is. And so, you know, to me, that's just boils down the entire opportunities. Everything can tr be traced back to software and the internet are eating the world. And, uh, you know, you don't need the A&R exec to find you, to put you on the right stage, to, to go through, you know, 10 BS suits to get your music heard by anybody. You can just put it out on an online platform. And that's why I say it's like the golden age where the, you know, there's no barriers. The only limit of your potential is like your hustle and your imagination is what I say. Totally. And so, you know. Yeah. You know, we were, we were talking a little bit before we press record, I think, where we were talking about there's similarities between your world and my world and it reminded me of this concept actually that I've, that I've talked to a lot of people about over the years, which is like, um, cause you know, I started making music in 2010, 2011, putting it out on YouTube, putting it out on Facebook. Uh, the hustle for me was figuring out some unique way to use the internet to create a fan base without having to go the traditional route of getting the A&R interested, you know, getting the music industry interested because I was in Boston. There wasn't a big music industry presence anywhere except for Los Angeles, a little bit of New York, which doesn't even really exist today in New York. Um, and so that was the early days of people figuring out how to be independent as artists and uh, put music out, build a fan base online with just the basic tools of, of Facebook and YouTube. This was before Instagram, before SoundCloud, before any of that stuff. And it was just kind of a connect the dots type of thing. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people where that was just indicative of the bigger change that was coming in the decades that follow uh, where everything is going in that direction. And music is one of those things where it's a relatively simple product because, you know, one person can make it. It's a three-minute song. It's not incredibly complex when you kind of break it down. It's just someone being creative and making music. And we're talking about, you know, a very simple MP3 file. It's small, right? So all these various things led to music being kind of like the proof of concept for this innovative change that's happening where people are using the internet to, to, you know, get their ideas out, to build their following, to build their business, as opposed to going the more corporate industrial route. And with music, it's going, you know, through the traditional music channels, you're bypassing all that stuff and you're just using the internet. And I feel like that was really the proof of concept. And now it's 2020, about to be 2021. We've seen other shoes drop, you know, uh, the film and TV world is really going in that direction now. Um, you know, and now I think one of the more recent changes, which I think you're absolutely a pioneer of, and just like I'm comfortable saying that me and other artists from my time period were pioneers of figuring out how to build kind of internet, social media, music followings in 2010, you are really a pioneer of this kind of new financial media, leveraging the internet, leveraging, you know, YouTube and all the other platforms. And I really think that, you know, those, uh, you know, those two industries are, are very related in, in that way. Um, and, and curious kind of how you feel about being in that position where you're, you're kind of on the forefront of this, of this, uh, disruption that's happening to, to financial media and finance in general. Yeah, it's crazy. And I, but before even that, what you said that really got me thinking was the MP3 file. That's such a low amount of data. So right. it was like music was this way. And then like you're saying, video was kind of the next thing as the internet's ready. And where I think this goes is 
music to me is losing uh, competition to other digital media because it's not visual. Like, yeah, music videos, but it's just like the guy kind of rapping or whatever. I think the future is, you know, your music is a world. Could you get a VR, you know, are you being immersed in a new world for three minutes? That's a full story. Like, I feel like the music videos are kind of like an evolution, but are still not music's true final form. And it's been dictated by this bandwidth of like data and compression that the internet can handle. And so I'm really excited to see where that goes. And in terms of the financial media, you know, I totally feel alone. Like I still feel like I'm the only guy really doing it. And a lot of people will make, you know, Tesla videos now that Tesla blew up. I was the only guy pounding the table there on Tesla and then it blows up and you got 50 other YouTube channels doing it. But um, this kind of like me documenting my own investing journey is such a weird and unique business model. Um, but I, I don't know, I just really feel alone at it. But I also am so excited that like, my smartest people in my industry are still working for Goldman Sachs and hedge funds and like are, are fear-based in their career decisions and say, what could go wrong if I don't get that job my parents want? What could, you know, uh, what if I'm wrong and I made a YouTube video and my stock pick was wrong? And so I started with this mentality of like this, you watch CNBC or any financial media, they're never wrong. Uh, you know, it's always, I know everything. I'm better than you. I'm in a suit. So I'm like, no, I'm going to yeah. be in my bedroom in a t-shirt just telling you what's up and telling you I'm probably going to be wrong because I'm a, I'm a dumbass and I'm 20 three or whatever, you know? And so to me, that just like, it was the show that I wanted to watch and felt like I needed to exist. And so, um, I don't know, it's kind of been crazy working, like, you know, I, I'm just kind of baffled that it's worked out and that YouTube ads and Patreon and like, frankly, like I make more money from just investing than the show because my portfolio is going up so much, but uh, I still feel like we're in the early days and like the karma coming back by having, you know, that million follower goal versus the billion dollars under management goal is to me like just such a big opportunity that people are still not understanding. And like if Warren Buffett was alive today, I think he would be doing a YouTube channel. Well, he is alive, um, but. Yeah, I, actually, <laughs> I hate, I've, I've, I've been saying that. I, 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 he's like my hero sure. mentor. He is alive, but like his his ideas are not. No, no, I, I totally, totally. You know. Yeah, like you get what I mean, but fuck, course, I'm feeling horrible. I said that shit. Like, I just, listen, we're, we care about facts here on the Cam Eakin Show. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I, I totally hear you. I mean, wh what do you, what do you think motivated you to kind of uh, go that route as opposed to you know, because you know, I understand you had a long background of getting into investing when you were younger. You went to school, studied finance, you know, did the whole thing, and you know, had a little bit of um, you know, time working at, you know, startups and working on, you know, different small funds and things like that. Um, what, what drove you to say, I don't need any of this. The 1 million followers is more valuable than the 1 billion under management. Uh, you know, because I think a lot yeah. of kids who, who get interested in, in finance, like, like you have, obviously their dream is to be, you know, the big shot hedge fund manager with a ton of money under management. And that's, you know, the, the only route to really like the rock star finance life. Um, yeah. And, and like that's, but, but how many people do you see getting into the music game? Cause they want to get rich and famous, right? They're never going to make it. And so that's the way I kind of look at those people of like, no, it's corny know, as it, fuck for sure. For sure. It's but all just, about passion. Yeah. You know, like as, as lame as that is, it's really about the passion that differentiates and, uh, that's why I say I feel like I'm so alone because I feel like this like actually wanting, you know, we're ADD culture, everybody's day trading now. It's like, nah, yeah. like I'm boring, so boring. Just like buy Tesla stock for right, four years right, in a row right, right. and like never sell it until I needed to buy my Tesla, you know? Yep. And so uh, there was also like the internet, when we're talking about distributing music, uh, one of the first things that led me to Tesla is I did this report at NYU about social media engagement of every single automotive brand. So you could see that the likes of Tesla's Facebook page are like, 
twice as much as Mercedes, growing 10 times as fast, and on every post they have, they're getting 20 times as many likes per follower. Uh, so, and then, and then I'm watching Mercedes is paying to get all these followers. So this was the start of like the internet, not only democratized like communication, but also democratized information and data. And so forever, Warren Buffett used to have to send in a slip to get a, uh, you know, SEC filing at his home, like months later in the mail, you can click in two seconds and read the SEC filing of any company. You're, you're, you know, Berkshire Hathaway of 20 years ago that made Warren Buffett billions, you with your computer have like a gazillion times more tech than he's ever had. Right. And so I think this is kind of like the true democratization of finances where if you're really smart, uh, it's kind of like music. If you're really good and put it out, it'll blow up. If you're really smart and have the good ideas, like you can make money. The data's out there. And while every hedge fund is still looking at financial statements, I'm like digging my teeth in this financial media data and I even published it. And it's like, bro, like how, how is this even a question? You know, Tesla's getting hundreds of millions of free marketing because everybody can't shut up about their product and Mercedes paying hundreds of millions of dollars for ads and still nobody's talking about it. Right. So that's when it hit me in the face of like, you know, totally, totally. So do you think that we're actually in a completely fundamental shift in, in the stock market and in financial markets in general, where basically a lot of the rules are kind of out the window because of this this change that you're talking about and how do you make sense of that now i i'm seeing even with the coronavirus situation right like the forces that are affecting the market now you know obviously i don't have the uh experience of seeing the last 100 years of the stock market but from the research that i've done and the, just the understanding that i have of the market and macroeconomics it seems like we're in this uncharted territory of incredibly active, uh, you know, central banks, um, you know, putting money into the market, uh, a really interesting time with the reserve currency, right? And the, uh, the, the way that uh, technology has changed access to information and the way people can make decisions on investing, these are all at the same time creating a new dynamic that we've never seen before. And so, how do you make sense of that and, you know, kind of take a value-based approach on the market when the old fundamentals are kind of irrelevant because it's a, it's a different market when you think about the way that the Fed, um, you know, engages with the market now and all the other factors that we've talked about and the change in technology and the democratization of investing in that way, you know, because it's not as much of a, uh, you know, a situation where it can be gate, the information can be gatekeeped, if that makes sense. So, yeah. yeah, I guess I'm just curious, like what your thoughts are about that, because I've been seeing it and been thinking, this is kind of just a new, a new time for financial markets. And I'm trying to figure out how to make sense of it because it kind of feels like it's just going to be this amazing situation where it just keeps going up and up and up with amazing technology companies and, you know, companies that, that you talk about in your, in your hyperchange system. And those are the new blue chip companies that are just going to, you know, grow to $10 trillion market cap values. And, you know, and I guess that's like, it seems clear to you in some ways of like this new tech is coming right. and, and you hit me with a lot there. Cause I'm like, yeah, the I know, Fed, I know, you I know, know. uh, but that's you know, the point. It's, it's, a little it's, bit, a it's, it's complex right now, you know? It is. And it's always complex. And it's always kind of a shit show, right? And I think that's what people need to accept is like, no matter, you know, it's 08, it's 011. Greece is, is falling off a cliff now. Right. It's ridiculous. Euro bonds are at zero. There's always something to kind of 
sink your teeth into. But I, I always think I'm seeing so much opportunity than ever. And I try and get people out of the noise. Like there's so much noise out there. There's so much BS. Um, like I, we built something called hyper charts, which like literally just takes the financial data of these companies and puts it into charts for you, which is so simple. And there's no, like, I don't, there's no galley's idea, no opinion on that. It's just the numbers. And so I still think um, Warren Buffett is actually as relevant as ever today. Value, you just got to look at it through a different lens. And so all value investing is value investing. And so it's extremely complex, but like Tesla, they're losing money. We've never seen a company be able to lose money and then start making so much money so quickly. That reversal from losses to massive profit. And why is that? You know, um, it's like the technology of Tesla. They can the internet's connected. They can sell their products faster. Like there's a gazillion things that kind of go into why that is. But it's still that same uh, frame and that true north of all investing is value investing. Like what price am I paying versus what price I think it's worth? Um, and you know, how do I calculate what this uh, thing is worth? And I think. As much as it seems like we've lost all value investing in rules, to me, it's never made more sense and never been clear. And I never try and impose my opinion on the market of like, we're ridiculous. It's a bubble. You're wrong. It's like, no, I'm wrong. The market is right. You know, and, it, and it's like Gary Vee. Like, I love his kind of mentality of like, stop like complaining and trying to fight the market. You just kind of got to accept it. And I think a lot of people have that. But the more I rationalize this, like, like you're saying, so we have 50 car companies. People are like, okay, well, Ford's worth 50 billion, Tesla's worth 500 billion, and, and Ford sells more cars. How does that make sense? But Tesla's making more money per car. And then you think about what does the uh, future of transportation look like in five years? It's not 50 car brands right. with you know 1% of miles traveled for each car brand. It's a robo-taxi, an autonomous Tesla that's 10 times cheaper than your Uber, and that's going to totally disrupt everything. You're not going to want to buy a car. And everybody's only going to be driving around in one type of car, and it's the Tesla, and the profit per miles driven just went up 10x, and they have you know 50x more miles driven than any other car company. All of a sudden, you do that 50 times 10, that's 500. It should be worth 500 times more than Ford per vehicle vehicle produced or whatever. And then that valuation makes sense. And so every situation is super complicated. And I think a lot of this euphoria and bubble mania, like everybody wants to be an investor. Everybody's trying to be invested in the stock market. But what I always try to tell people is like, bro, put in your 10,000 hours. You're going to be garbage at investing. If you just buy your homie's st favorite stock and you just get into it and think you're going to make money. Like I just got my sister into investing and she's like, you know, telling me how Etsy stock went up because she bought it and right. she's so smart because it's up 6%. I'm like, you're an idiot. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like you got to you're going to have to lose money 10 times. You have to, I lost my life savings so many times before I got good in investing. And so uh, that's kind of one thing I, I like really try and cautious young and new people in the game of like, this is like a skill. Like, do you want to, do you want to be good at music or do you want to be good in investing? Like you can't do it all in some ways, or like maybe you can do two, but you can't. Um, I, I think that's, what's really lost about investing is too many herd mentality, following what other people thinking, reading things from people who aren't rich and don't know what's happening and taking it as fact. Yep. Um, yep. And yeah, so like, I don't know, I, I kind of, I, I feel like I've in some ways like abandoned, like I, the Robin Hood culture, because I hate, like, I love that everybody's trading, but I hate that mentality of like, we're going to get really quick, rich quickly. Yeah, you know? no, I, I think that's, that's a, a, a really dangerous mentality to have. I guess I'm just wondering if you agree with, with the concept that, uh, you know, fundamentally things have changed, um, because of those those points that I mentioned, and so therefore, uh, you know, the 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 next few decades of financial markets, um, you know, will just be under different circumstances. Uh, yeah, I would say evolved, maybe. Yeah, evolved, evolved, and it's and it's always evolving. Right. So, right. And, people that think it'll return to normal, I'm like, no, it's getting crazier. You know, that's what I yeah, see happening. Yeah. And it'll just in perpetuity. Right. And that's what I love about financial markets is like the next great book 
it, that that will rewrite the rules of book value, P ratio, price earnings to growth, my ratio, years to payback, like is waiting to be written. Like every financial theory is waiting to be disrupted. It's not like science or physics where there's this law that's the truth no matter what. Like it's just theories that people put out there. And like I love the Steve Jobs quote of like, look around at everything built like everything around you is built by someone who wasn't any smarter than you. And so I think if you think about that with financial markets and it was 50 years ago, pre-internet, you know, um, and, and then there's just that legacy. You just have these old rich people who are really resistant to change and got rich on this system that is does this, you know, formula that doesn't work anymore. And so that's kind of, those are the people saying the system's crazy and the fed's ridiculous, but I just think they're old and they're missing the boat of like people like you and me who are like, we want to buy, you know, future technology companies and we'll pay a huge premium for that because we see that growth. Totally. And that's just a different new mindset. Right. Totally. Um, so what, what got you into Tesla specifically? Um, was it, you know, the fact that Elon is such a visionary? Is it the underlying fundamentals of the company and the intrinsic value of the company that you saw? I'm curious how, I'm curious how the dots connected between you being, um, you know, the young kid that you were, you know, really into finance and investing and then, you know, the the focus on the new technology and Tesla specifically, did that just gradually happen over time or was there a moment when you were in college and, you know, you, you saw the writing on the wall? Like, how did that happen for you? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, my, my motto is the bigger the problem, the bigger the opportunity. And so I've always seen climate change as like growing up in Seattle, super climate friendly, like just this massive problem that our cars are burning fossil fuels and our energy system is just fossil fuels and like this needs to change and like this needs to hyper change and this is a huge problem that is an equally massive opportunity to create one of the world's largest businesses to usher us into this clean tech era. To me, this is like, this is why I say people like, you wanna know some really crazy things like Jesus Christ, Steve Jobs, those are two names that will be forgotten relative to Elon Musk when it's all said and done, because you want to talk about the savior of humanity, getting us off fossil fuels single-handedly, getting us all to electric cars. We're going to have solar roofs on all our houses. We're going to have batteries. We're not going to have to import dinosaur juice from across the world. Like, it, So so when I found out about, and he, Elon had this written in a master plan. And one of my other big rules in investing is owner, operator, founder. Like companies mm. where it's like the CEO comes in, they're paying him 10 mil, it's not his baby. Like that never works. You want someone like Elon Musk who's sleeping on the factory floor. It's ridiculous to me that the media grilled him for sleeping on the factory floor. But I'm like, dude, this is exactly the guy I want to invest in. Like he's so, I think he's once in a thousand years, Edison type, not only an incredible inventor, but someone who, an engineer, but someone who actually brings those inventions to reality and hits them with, and has millions of people, you know, realize that invention of the electric car and right. then create billions of shareholder value. Like. People are, they just haven't, they don't accept the fact that this is such a unique individual kind of breaking all the norms of all businesses. Well, and so, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I well, yeah, and so that's kind of the lens I'd at. Like, I don't give a shit about Elon Musk. Like, I'm not an Elon Musk fanboy. I'm just like looking at the math of his accomplishments and I'm like, dude, this dude is literally LeBron James and the number two guy is in a kindergarten, is a kindergartner. And that's <laughs> that's GM versus Tesla right, right now. Right, and right. So, so of course I'm, and LeBron's 48 and GM's, you know, 65, their CEO. So right. even the aged Elon Musk has got, you know, it's like being a 23 year old basketball player. He's got his next best decade ahead of him. And so you add that up to Tesla and I read their master plan of like, I was doing this case and debate class of like genetically modified tubes of algae in the desert. We're going to get biofuel to run every single car. And like, we'll only need, you know, half of the Arizona desert to have our whole energy transportation system. And then I see Elon Musk, my mentor in high school gets like a ride in the roadster, gives me this Tesla hat. And he's like, dude, you got to check this out. Like, it's way cooler than your debate thesis. Um, you know, they're actually just going to build sexy electric cars, use that money to build a cheaper electric car. And it, it was much more than like a car. 
it was it was a car that had a why behind it and a mission behind the whole company of like you know those people who bought the toys for rich people the two hundred fifty thousand dollar roadsters the thousand of them those people all subsidized the model s which subsidized the model three which is going to subsidize the twenty five thousand dollar car which is going to bring this technology down to every single person and when i think about you know my investing every investing is value investing so when i think about the technology that tesla's building you know where how much value does that have well getting everybody around safely and cleanly is a really big value uh getting everybody sustainable energy for really cheap on the roof of their house is a huge value and so literally two trillion dollar industries at once tesla was like a three billion dollar company when i started following it like uh it just kind of I, it clicked and i had this vision of like i walk down the street in manhattan and every single car is polluting and every single building is not collecting energy and they're importing this juice from halfway around the world and it's just fucking ridiculous and it's not the future and elon musk is there pounding the table with this perfect vision and, and yeah so that's kind of like it's just so inspiring honestly to be a yeah. part of like that movement you totally know? totally no it is inspiring that's one of the reasons i really wanted to talk to you because i know you're such an inspired guy and, and excited about this stuff and and i just think that's amazing and i think we need to have these type of conversations to just get more and more people thinking in this way and just just you know realizing that this this change is happening um uh, you know i i know you talked about in your book that you wrote that uh you know you, you thought it was ridiculous that lettuce was coming in from texas to new york um and when you could have a rooftop farm bringing lettuce into that whole foods in you know 25 minutes and so i just you know what you were just talking about reminded me of that point which is there's a lot of inefficiencies in our world right now that that just kind of happened you know it just cycled out of control at, at one point right and so then when you have a guy like elon musk and, and, you know, to go back to one of your points where you were saying, like, on the media was shitting on him for saying he puts 110 hours in a week or wh whatever it was, like, people can make their own choices, right? And when you're a guy who's so, such a visionary like that, like, you know, he can choose to, to put that time in and just create these, these things for the world. And that benefits us, right? Like, we all only have one life. If he, if he wants to live that life, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But, um, you know, these, these, uh, inefficiencies that are that are just all over the place um you know there's a hundred different solutions to them right and so it's it's not about you know it's not as much about coming up with you know the most perfect solution on paper as it is about who's going to go out and actually execute the ideas and i think tesla is an example of a company that's been executing and it's going to continue to execute for years on that change and you know that's that's one of the things that really kind of inspires me or, you know, attracts me to the story and why I like watching your videos and learning more and more about all this stuff that's going on. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's, that's just my take on it, but. Yeah. I feel blessed, honestly. I'm like, dude, like being that investor financial nerd and getting to follow Elon Musk company from day one, like just living the dream out here. Totally. It's, it's a, it's a certainly a, uh, and, a wild and like, time. I kind of want to, like the side of Elon that people don't know, like I've had the real fortunate opportunity of meeting him a couple of times. And like, it just kind of really grinds my gears. Like people like say he's an asshole or like hate on him. Cause like at the end of the day, I really want to just push this narrative of like, he's just such a brilliant nerdy inventor. And like, honestly, just a really cool, nice, thoughtful guy. And like really one of the most nice, thoughtful people I've ever met. And like, that to me goes a really long way. And like, I, I like to do business with trust, with handshakes, who people are in it for the right reason. And like, 
the fact that Elon Musk like listened to me and let me on the conference call and like actually like just because I'm, you know, I don't have the experience or I'm not as old as or whatever, like he still listened to me because my ideas were good. Like that is something I'll always take with me is like, wow, like that you like, I don't, you know, I almost look at him as a mentor, even though I don't really know him that well, but yeah, like sure. it was just so different from like someone in his position to like listen and like give a shit. And that I think is the side of Elon Musk that not enough people know about that to me is, is, is equally inspiring as what he does is how at that level of fame and whatever, he's still like that humble, chill, cool, just extremely respectful down to earth. dude. Well, he seems extremely accessible too, right? Like he's, he's relatively, you know, active and, and down to like reply to people on, on Twitter and everything. I don't understand. Like yeah. where does that, where does that, um, uh, negative rep come from? Like, did that stem from like specific situations or cause I, I'd never thought that about him, but I've heard that before too. And I don't get that. You know, it's it's really sad. I don't even want to spend that much time on it. There's a huge amount of people who are betting on Tesla stock to fail. Yeah. And we're frankly like, I've talked to billionaire hedge fund managers in their office, David Einhorn. And it's just like, these dudes are spreading narratives that are ugly. And like, there's billions of, literally tens of billions of dollars on the line betting on Tesla to fail. And this guy's, their playbook is to put out bullshit articles. Yeah. yeah. And they almost kicked Elon Musk out of the company. Uh, you know, they voted him out as chairman. So there's been a lot of, and it kills me because I don't even get it. I'm like, dude, like people love to hate on somebody who's successful. Like Jeff Bezos has a quote, like if you never want to do, never want to get hated on, never do anything new. Well, yeah, you know? that's the thing. Yeah. Like, so, so I love that, but it's just like a guy who's trying really hard to put his life savings into this company. Like, so is it me as an entrepreneur? Like, I don't know how you feel, but I'm like, bro, like, I like, how can you hate on a guy who like asks for nothing, put all his own money into it, works his ass off to try and make the world better. Like, like, what have you done? That's what I always ask people. It's like, right. bro, what are you doing for climate change? Right. Like, stop hating. Like, dog. Like, <laughs> no facts. I mean, there's 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 a lot of different mentalities out there. I mean, obviously, you know, there's probably some people who have financial interests in in seeing seeing him have negative press or something like that. And so there's so much manipulation of of the media when it comes to that stuff at, at a high level. But I think when you when you think about the idea of people hating on people because they're extremely kind of successful and maybe different and weird. I think it's just a it's 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 just a a mental thing for for those people. I mean, there are just a lot of people that that um, use social media now to just like put out this negative energy on people that are doing stuff. And right? it's it, you know it's really fascinating, and that's probably always been the case. Like, there's probably always been people chirping, you know, whenever someone was doing something successful, but now we just have access to it more and we, we see, but you know, it's, it's, it's such a crazy thing because then when you are someone who's trying to do something, you're trying to put your music out or you're trying to create a YouTube channel, or you're trying to be the next Elon Musk or whatever, you know, you're constantly bombarded with these negative comments and negative energy. And I think that most people who have the self-confidence and the vision to go out and actually build something for themselves also have the the confidence to say these comments are completely irrelevant, but you know, there is a little something that, that kind of probably gets to you a little bit when you just see that stuff all the time. And it's, it's so fascinating why, you know, so many people spend, you know, their, their energy on that. But I think it's just, uh, it's just the human condition at the end of the day. Um, you know, totally. For some and it people. makes me sad, but it's like, all you can do is focus on your own positivity, right. you know, and spreading that message. And I've really tried to like, even I'm like, if I'm going to send an angry text or angry tweet, like I try and like not send it. Cause I'm like, bro, in five minutes, you're just going to regret that. And like, why do you put that negative energy into the world? Right. Like, I don't know. So I'm hoping that will change because I hate seeing that on Twitter. Every time I tweet, people are like, bro, like, 
you know. Yeah, you suck. it's like, just it's just easy. It, it's easy for people to 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 say things through these these um, mediums, but it's just we're just more aware of it now. And so I think that can make you feel a little bit more comfortable about it. If, if that makes any sense, but, um, I'm and it, if it makes you feel better, it got to Elon. Like yeah, he was right. rattled about the shorts and he was tweeting back at him. And I think that's half the trouble he got into is cause he was so personally like, fuck you. This is unfair yeah. that like, it just got to him. And I really like during that time, I'm like pounding the table, like bro, Elon, like fuck the shorts. Don't engage. Like, let's just do it. We're going to crush it. But even Elon Musk, had to send a couple of tweets and be like, bro, like, fuck you. Yeah, like, right. You know, right, like, right. he dropped the short shorts product. Yep, yep. Uh, like, it's just a troll on them. Well, so, that's, that's so amazing, though. Like, you it gets know, to, like, happens to all of yeah. us. Did you see this news about the the guy who's claiming that they made alien contact with, with the, the Galactic Federation? Oh, is it the ex-Israeli guy? Yeah. And Rogan posted on on IG, yeah. like, just, like, yeah, yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I love Rogan's alien. Dude, I'm totally, I'm on board, bro. I mean. Aliens are here. Aliens Moonshot are definitely Monday. here. Aliens are definitely here. I'm just curious, why would they just pick the United States and Israel to communicate to? You know, like that's kind of like that's uh, uh, like. I mean, right? That seems kind of greasy. I don't know, dude. It's just like I just feel like it's really, really that that I don't know if I believe that, um, but I do believe the aliens are real, and we might find out that they are real in our lifetime for sure. And I, I think that the government might know that that we've like had for sure UFO situations. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And, I, and it's like, bro, extrapolate technology, like look at a thousand years, right. you know, we have UFOs, so you were going to go to Mars in five years, you know? Yeah. And right. It's like, Cause it's exponential growth, right? Like, you know, the, um, I mean, that's that, you know, you want to talk about real, real esoteric hyperchange concepts, right? Like if you think about the exponential growth of technology and then you think about artificial intelligence then you think about the idea that everything could be, quote unquote, a simulation, right? What's what's the difference between what we're what we're living and a simulation? If we feel like we have our own free thought, free thought, and our own free will, and I pinch myself and I can feel it, what's the difference if that's a simulation or if that's, you know, just whatever else we want to call our existence and the universe and 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 life, you know, starting totally. at the Big Bang. And- and it's like, if we have a simulation, how much does it suck? Because we're playing this video game to live on Earth, you know, to go back in time, because this is so much more fun than whatever the real world is. And so it's yeah. like Ready Player One or whatever, right, you know? And right, so right. all my philosophies boil down to like, enjoy the moment and make the most out of your life, totally. because that's the only thing I can count on. But I also am like such a big believer in aliens and like the idea that there's other worlds out there. It's like, dude, and the technology thing to me totally makes sense. Like, if aliens are out there and they were like a thousand years before us in civilization, they have the tech to do the UFOs or whatever, maybe 10,000 I mean, years. Because you know? if we were in the 1600s and then you flash forward to 2020 and we're talking over this, you know, giant screen where you're right here and I've got this crazy camera, you know, that's absolutely bonkers to someone, you know, yeah, it's 400 like magic. years we're like ago. halfway across the world. Yeah. We're just, it's, it's insane. And so, you know, a thousand years from now, what, what's the technology going to look like? But there's also, I think the, the, uh, the concept that, you know, technologically we're not able to get that advanced before something catastrophic happens. Um, true. You know, and it looks like we're getting close to blowing ourselves out in like a thousand years. Probably. (laughs) Yeah. You know, nuclear, you know, meteor, there's a lot of different, you know, global warming. I'm just as scared as like Twitter too. Like, yeah, no facts, facts. But, 
you know, so I think that's the only uh, hedge against that that uh, technology uh, exponential curve concept is is that like see in order for any society to get to that point, you'd have to avoid a good amount of existential threats that no other you know no, nothing else that we know of was was able to to avoid. But I guess that goes back to you know the idea of Mars and SpaceX and all this all this type of stuff too, right? Like if we want to continue civilization, we have to expand beyond just just Earth, right? Yeah, because inevitably, and I, dude, I'm and you're getting me back in the Elon Musk world because that's just the biggest check I've ever wrote is just to SpaceX like yeah. four months ago, um, and I'm so excited because to me it's like it's not just about going to Mars, but it's like, dude, Star Wars is our future. Like, yeah. as crazy as that sounds, and like the company that's building the railroads to space, to me, it's going to be one of the biggest companies in the future, trillions of dollars. Like, uh, and it's even like, and I even think of aliens and Tesla. I don't know how in you are the, to the conspiracy theories of like, why do they want to keep this alien thing a secret? If they have a crashed UFO, they have this new propulsion technology, right? Yeah, right. Change the society. whole um, Area 51 uh, Bob Lazar stuff with the, that special element yes. and everything like that. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So to me, Tesla is an investment in a new propulsion technology. It's my favorite way to look at it. It's that disruptive. Every single thing that moves in our economy, stuff, people, planes, boats, trains, whatever, it all moves on this really legacy propulsion technology that Elon Musk and his lab have already done one that's 10 times better. It's just about getting it to everything in the world. And so to me, like Tesla's, if I could sum it up in like one sentence, it's like you're investing in the alien technology of the future that will move all people and stuff around. So what do you think we're going to see in our lifetime? I think we're the same age and I'm curious I'm curious what you think we're going to actually see in our lifetime from these these innovations, what SpaceX is doing, what all these other companies are doing. What do you think that's going to look like when we're 75 years old? Dude, the scariest thing that keeps me up at night is Neuralink. You know Neuralink? Yeah. Like yeah. yeah. Dude, so I went to the Neuralink event in San Francisco where they unveiled it like a year ago, I want to say. And it was like this theater that was like this IMAX thing. It was like totally like immersive and it was straight out of a sci-fi movie. Like we're in these chairs, this dark room. It's like this computer voice. I'm like, your neurons firing are just electrical signals. And like Elon Musk comes out and, uh, you know, they do this whole Neuralink presentation about how essentially your phone, we're already cyborgs. We're going to put this in our brain as a chip. And then, you know, you could record every memory, share every memory in five senses to anyone. Like it's just like texting or, you know, Snapchatting or, whatever, but just like 10 times more immersive. But to me, that's extremely scary and exciting. And that's where the future of societies is headed. And if I want to go all the way, it's like, well, is that the device you use to transfer your consciousness into a new body? You know, that's the question I always think about of like, if I'm a technologist, like, uh, you know, are we gonna be able to use technology to extend our life some way? Like, is Neuralink at the cutting edge of that? Uh, you know, that's like inside your head excitement that I get excited about. But then it's like SpaceX, also Elon, but to me, equally exciting humans on Mars, like this is going to be like, I think we're genuinely going to live to see a colony, uh, not only get to Mars, but thrive on Mars. And that is going to be so inspiring. And to me, that's like what will inspire, you know, our grandkids and their grandkids to go way beyond Mars. Like this is the first seed of that kind of, you know, expansion as a species into to being multiplanetary. And that is so powerful. And I see that as so important. And I think all financial markets, this chaos, Bitcoin, the Fed, everyone's going to say, who gives a shit? Humanity is doing its biggest growth expansion ever. We're going to a new planet. That means we can go to the next planet. Every Wall Street banker with their spreadsheet just, you know, their head exploded because they had to make infinite number of spreadsheets for an infinite number of planets. So to me, this is like the great kind of, if you were going to play a video game of humanity, and go back in time for one moment to be alive during, I think it would be this moment. Maybe I'm biased because it's just the most advanced one right now, but it's like, bro, internet exists. Crazy time to be alive. First time at a new planet. Like, 
uh, I'm pumped. I feel like we are in a sweet spot, dude. I'm 27. I don't know how old you are. I'm 27 but these next 50 too, yeah. years, bro. This is the best movie that Netflix can't even scheme up. No, that's like, what I think too. That's why I wanted to know, you know, how do you see this actually playing out? Because it feels like we're on the, the precipice of just enormous, uh, you know, just enormous change. And, you know, the idea that... Hyper change. Yeah, hyper change, right. Shout out. TM. <laughs> um, so h- how do you think Bitcoin plays into all of this in terms of, you know... Um, because I know earlier we were talking about, you know, one of the things that's that's interesting about kind of the market forces that are playing out right now is, um, you know, the reserve currency and, and the way that, you know, um, that's going and everything else like that. Um, you know, I know you've talked a lot about Bitcoin in the past. I'm curious what you think about it right now and, um, you know, how it how it plays into all of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I love Bitcoin. I've held it for years. I wrote about it when I was at NYU like seven years ago when people thought I actually got like there was a my international finance class, they were talking about Bitcoin and it was the optional lecture the day before Thanksgiving. And I was like one of the three people who showed up and I was so pissed that they made it the optional lecture. Like <laughs> right. everything else is mandatory, you get graded for attendance. Like today we're talking about Bitcoin, so nobody needs to show up. And I'm like, dude, this is the most important thing happening in international finance. And they're like, who owns Bitcoin? I'm like, me, Bitcoin's at 300, literally laughed at. Like they're like, you actually fucking own some of this shit? Like that's, and so I've been, I love Bitcoin as a concept, you know, a piece of software is a new, you know, I'm software eating the world. To me, that's the biggest innovation with the internet. And so currency, now it's paper, dollars, now dollars on our smartphone, but it's always been changing before it was like rocks, diamonds, gold, we would barter, you know, to me, it's just what is kind of money. And I see Bitcoin coming at this from totally left field of an algorithm. That's a piece of code that's limited, that's decentralized. Like it has all these new attributes. It's almost like gold 2.0 of this amazing store of value, but it's limited. We can't mine more of it after that 21 million mark. And me moving a, a rock around the world is really hard, but moving a piece of code with the click, even if it costs 50 bucks on the Bitcoin network is way cheaper than moving $10,000 worth of gold halfway around the world. And so I look at this as a much better, you know, in, in terms of how humans store value over time, money, we have like dollars, we have stocks, we have real estate, we have gold, uh, we have jewelry, we have art, uh, collectibles, sneakers. That's not a big thing I'm into, but Wine. I think Bitcoin comes into this equation. I'm like, okay, this algorithm that's like decentralized, it can't like this to me is going to take a huge chunk of that money ecosystem. And so my guess is gold is worth $7 trillion worth of gold. Most of that's held for investment in jewelry, also investment. If Bitcoin hits $7 trillion, you're looking at $300,000 of Bitcoin with $21 million. So I think, but Bitcoin's better than gold. So I think Bitcoin becomes this new type of gold in our economy. And the value of that inflation hedge of a new gold is 15 to 20 trillion, which puts Bitcoin at about a million a coin. Um, and that's kind of like how I see this all of like a million in US dollar terms, but soon we're not going to be talking about Tesla and US dollars. We'll be quoting it in Bitcoin. Right. Maybe, right. You know? And so um, do you think that the, yeah. that we need another, um, you know, another asset like that? Because it, are there, are there problems with, with the way that, uh, you know, or, you know, the access to gold or something like that, 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 that creates a, a reason for, for Bitcoin to exist, or is it just, you know, we can always use another asset like that. That's that's got some sort of, you know, fixed intrinsic value to it because it's, it's a, you know, a set amount that can be mined and there's, you know, I'm just. Yeah. Fuck. I had a really good, um, quote that I'm trying to, um, think of, Oh, this quote about Bitcoin, that it was like the most successful economic experiment ever, or like it was already a great success. Like it started as economic 
And, and so what I was saying about markets kind of and just being a student of what's happening, like I've stopped trying to be like, oh, could something else replace Bitcoin or what's this? I'm like, Bitcoin is gaining market share in this financial monetary ecosystem faster than anything else. So I better start doing my homework on why that is, mm. you know, mm -hmm. and just being a student of that data that's coming out that's saying Bitcoin is moving twice as much money as PayPal. And so and it was created, you know, within half the time. And it's so. I think Bitcoin has been this wildly successful thing. I don't know. I'm curious. Do you own Bitcoin? Are you a, a believer? No, I, What's your take on it? I uh, I have owned Bitcoin before. I don't own Bitcoin right now, but uh, you know, obviously, um, it's it's a really, really fascinating thing to me that I feel like I don't know enough about. You know, but I I when I think about the you know I, I've heard you talk about it and compare it to 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 gold and in, in that way, and that makes inherent sense to me. You know, I mean. I understand. I mean, one of the things that I really enjoy studying is, is like the idea of, you know, currency and just money and, and all these different ways in history that we've, you know, kind of had money and, 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 you know, used paper money and coins and, you know, metals and all these different things to, to transact. Right. And of course, when you have like a fiat currency, like we do now, like the only thing that, that gives that any value is the fact that we all agree that there's value to it. And, you know, the government behind it. Um, there is no reason that I can see where if we all agree that this is valuable, that doesn't work out and make sense, you know, because that's that's the whole concept of 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 money. Right. I mean, gold it, is only valuable because we, we think it's worth something. Yeah. Yes, there's a and finite amount of it, is, but we still have to, like, believe that it's valuable. And our belief in what's valuable has changed over time yes. based on what's the best mechanism of transferring value. Right. So I think that trust in Bitcoin is it's going to have to grow and get there and it's going to take a long time. But to me, like Square. So this is another way to frame my Bitcoin thesis. I think Jack Dorsey and Square and Cash App will single handedly make Bitcoin take over because they have 33 million people on Cash App growing like crazy. They're making it with a click of a button. You can buy Bitcoin. Jack Dorsey, also CEO of Twitter one of the most important dudes in the world is saying this is the, you know, built for the internet currency. And Jack Dorsey is a hacker. Like, that's what I love about this dude. Like he's coding shit himself, uh, owner, operator, founder. But you think about Square's position, like why do we need Bitcoin? Square is paying like 3% to credit card companies for nothing on every single transaction. If you set up an online business, Stripe, Shopify, they're charging you 3%. They're not making that money. It's going to Visa, MasterCard, and all these pipes of the financial system just taking this massive toll. So what Jack Dorsey is doing with Bitcoin is saying, wait, if we build, use this currency, we can build what's called a layer two solution. He's personally investing in all these apps that make it so you can like transact really cheaply and quickly on the Bitcoin network kind of for microtransactions. And all of a sudden you have 33 million wallets that are able to do all these transactions at Bitcoin. And the transactions mean we can avoid that 2.9% fee. So what did Cash App just do? They just try out merch. They give you 25% off if you bought that merch within the Cash App. They're already making you pay just within their own ecosystem. So to me, this is a real world example of one of the most biggest world changing financial companies who has a huge incentive to use Bitcoin and strip out all the financial pipes and put in Bitcoin because they're going to save 3% on $50 billion move last quarter. You know, yeah. they're going to have half to their customers and keep the other half. So, yeah, I mean, that's all you need, right? Like you just need a real market using it to transact in a real significant way. And I think we're starting to to really have that, and probably will have that more significantly in the in the coming years. And uh, you know, so I, I I've been really considering uh, getting back into it, and, and I think I'm going to now after this conversation, <laughs> just because it's also it's, it's also, not financial advice. No, I never give financial advice. Of course, of course, and I certainly don't either. That's not my show. But <laughs> uh, I just uh, I just I also think it's kind of 
you know, another one of these um, bets on the future, bets on, on the change yeah. that we're talking about. It's, you know, why not participate in it a little bit? And if it works out, it works out in, you know, in an amazing way. Um, and if it doesn't, then, I mean, I, I don't, personally, I don't think anyone should be playing around in that world unless you can, uh, you know, you can afford to, to lose your shirt, right? Like that's the, that's always how I've seen it. But, but I love that you're scheming on it, honestly, because yeah. that's one thing I think is interesting. And I'd be curious to get your take on like, you're kind of investing, you know, your journey to becoming an investor as well. Yeah. I think that's so cool. And like the fact that you kind of under, I see that you get what you don't know in some ways. And like, like to me, you're already 10 steps ahead of everybody on wall street by just being like, I kind of don't know shit. I'm just going to dabble, try and learn. And I love that mentality. When I see that, I'm like, bro, you're going to go so far. And like, that's exactly what we kind of need, you know? that's how I started with Bitcoin, put 50 bucks in and like, now I give a shit. Now I'm reading all the news. Now I'm following it. I don't care if I lose 50 bucks, right. but I've, I, that education is, is going to worth thousands. Totally. You know? Totally. Yeah. A lot of things led me to this, to this path of kind of being interested in, in, in finance. One, I think the most basic fact is, is that I've always been an entrepreneur, small business owner running my own music business, you know? And yeah. so it, that's, you know, that's the ultimate startup to me. And since I was 16, I've been running that business as an entrepreneur, I would, uh, you know, the first thing that I did to get my music career going was me and my friend Alexi and my other friend Armand and uh, my friend Duncan, we went to my house, we grabbed 400 C uh, blank CDs, burned 400 CDs and passed them out and sold them for two bucks at my school. And uh, that trickled into making a mixtape. And then that trickled into, oh, we could use the internet to actually kind of circulate this a little bit more. And so then it was, you know, an internet business. And you know, just one thing after another and, you know, step by step, but that's just, you know, really being an entrepreneur at the end of the day. And so I was always kind of just interested in not just the music and the creativity, but the business idea of it, building something and figuring out how to build like a following. And I see all those things as kind of the same thing. You know, that's what a company does. That's what a musician does. And, um, so I've always kind of had that, that entrepreneurial bug, um, so then fast forward, I'm doing music, I'm, I'm you know, building my, my music career, having some good independent success. And then I, uh, I get an opportunity to um, help my brother start an English muffin company. And I think I've told you the story a little bit because I know you like English muffins. So <laughs> I, um, I, I get an opportunity to basically you know, put a little bit of money into this English muffin company to get him going. And he starts this English muffin company in Boston called Stone and Skillet. Uh, it's now a company that's been around for seven years, super successful, nationally distributed in Whole Foods, a, you know, a bunch of other, um, you know, huge grocery stores and, you know, just going up and up and up. And so that was 2014. I kind of started being like, wow, the, you know, this is the same thing as building a music brand, you know, kind of, it's just a hustle. It's a bootstrapped grind. And I love that. And so I just got really interested in, um, you know, in, investing in that way. And, uh, that trickled into learning about investing in the stock market and reading, you know, all the classic books and just kind of understanding, you know, value investing and, and the fundamentals of, you know, the actual way to make money in the stock market, uh, you know, as opposed to, I think what's very popular right now, which is kind of just gambling. And I think that's, that's well and fine. I think you just have to understand that that's what that is. Like there's, there's no difference to me between Robin hood trading and sports betting. You know, it's, it's, it's all Preach, the same thing. Bro. So if you have play Love money that, to do honestly. that, that's totally fine. Like if you're like a barstool sports, like, you know, gambler or whatever, or you're like a Robin hood day trader, like whatever, it's, it's all the same thing in, in my mind. Um, but yeah, so I, I, uh, 
just started reading all these books and getting interested in it and kind of started to understand, you know, that the less you trade, the more, the more you make over time. And just, you know, it's just about, you know, buying companies that are worth something, right? And just holding on to stuff. And so I've been doing that over the years. And I've kind of fundamentally followed a similar approach, I would say, to you, which is trying to, to you know, own companies that I believe have an intrinsic value that are just going to be around for my lifetime, like Tesla. I'm, I love Spotify, obviously, because I'm a musician. So I'm, you know, incredibly uh, aware of their business model and how it works. And I have probably more of a fundamental understanding of Spotify's business than anyone on Wall Street. You know what I mean? Um, sure. So companies like that. Um, and I've just been slowly kind of building my own portfolio and, and, uh, and, and doing that. And it's just something that I'm interested in. And so I watch your content. I, I try and learn as much as I can. I read a lot about that type of stuff. I uh, just do a lot of the research that I can um, because it's just something that I'm interested in. And I understand that that's how you really just create, um, you know, wealth in, in this world, right? And, and, and I want, uh, you know, bringing it back to you, I want to create, you know, um, just, you know, a good level of, of success in my life and wealth in my life so that I can do something great with that, um, you know, just that, that level that I get to. And I think you mentioned that in your book too, which is, you know, you kind of wanted to, you know, get, get that level of power and influence, but in like a Robin Hood type of way. And I thought that was a really cool, uh, thing that you talked about. So that's, that's how I got into it. I don't even remember what your original question was, but <laughs> no, that was it, bro. How'd you, I love that. And I'm, I can't wait. I still haven't tried one of those English muffins. I'm, I'm beef. I know I got You got to send me your address. You got to send me your address and I'll get them out to you. Yeah, dude, that, that's so cool that, that you say that. And I, I think, uh, you know, what do you want to do with that? And I was having a really interesting conversation today. Like, you know, I don't want to get too philosophical, but it was like, this guy asked me like, you know, what's the, you know, what's the end game here? What do you want to do with it? And um, what I kind of was writing in my book, it's like, I feel like politicians aren't doing anything. Like, I feel like, like, like not enough is getting done in the world. Like this Tesla, you know, electric cars, that was such a push to get done. And I feel like it just needed to happen. And like this change wasn't happening. And so that's like why I got so passionate behind Tesla and like, uh, you know, just dedicated my life to following it and communicating it and literally doing anything I could to help the company succeed because it was just so important and like the future is only what we make it. And so I also love the lens of investing and like building our own wealth, but being a part of this creation of the future. Like to me, I look at my city and I'm, I'm inspired by the potential of like my book. I wrote these crazy hydroponic, you know, farms that are like bright colors that light up the skyline that grow our food so we can reforest nature. Like to me, there's so many exciting ways there's our cities and like kind of world could change and I didn't see it happening. And so that's why to me, I got really passionate about like, I'm gonna do this, build up my snowball, get crazy, get crazy successful. Sorry, fucking no worries. Uh, but yeah, um, so, so I'm gonna build up my snowball and, and then it's like, fuck, like, what, like, you know, then I, you can actually do shit. Um, and so now I'm really excited that I feel like I'm finally in that place of like the platform. I have like a lot of kind of announcements brewing that are the next phase of hyper change. Like, okay, this Tesla thing is done. Like Tesla's gonna succeed. It's kind of financially locked in and secured. So I've been spending a lot of my time thinking about like, what's the next big cause I wanna push? You know, is it SpaceX and uh, getting people like excited about that future about colonizing space? Is it the food system and all the waste that's happening there? You know, how do we start investing and helping the companies in that space to reduce the waste there? Like. Uh, it's just really cool how not only you can invest in these companies, but I think Spotify should be having meetings with you. They should be like, yo, Cam, what's up? What do you think about this new feature? Like, and, and not only going to the table as uh, you know, a customer or part of their platform, 
but also as an investor, as a stakeholder in the company. And that's the real future I see. I'm, I'm really pumped about this company called Carta. That's like a startup. And, they, and what I love the most about them is they're, uh, they're saying, create more owners. And just like more people thinking with that owner mentality, like, um, and kind of being a part of it. And I, that's what I really disconnected with NYU and finance culture. It was like people would invest in like Facebook, mm -hmm. but they'll also talk to me about how they never use Facebook and they hate Mark Zuckerberg and he's an evil guy, but like the stock's at a low PE, so I'm buying it. And I'm like, bro, you're the fucking problem. Like, you know, invest in the future you believe in. And so I think with a lot of power also comes a lot of responsibility. And so that's why I try and push that agenda of like, it's not just disconnected from your money, but there's a real like business behind every stock. And let's really think about where that goes and what you're supporting. Totally. Totally. No, I love that. You know, another thing that I, that I thought of when we were, while we were talking about this too, is like, uh, this is something I think you'll, you'll find interesting. So, um, I was, uh, you know, for the most part of my career, I've been independent, but I did one album with Warner music group, uh, back in 2013. And, uh, you know, one of the interesting things about Spotify as a, as a business is, is that Warner music, universal, Sony, um, you know, obviously a ton of other uh, parent companies that actually own the music companies, they've all been invested in Spotify in various ways over the years. Right. And, you know, one of the, one of the arrangements early on that Spotify had was, you know, they kind of, you know, gave, um, a lot of the licensing holders, you know, like Warner music and all these companies equity in the company in exchange for, uh, licensing the music. And, uh, a few years ago, a couple years ago, maybe, um, Warner Music sold out of their stake in Spotify, um, and they distributed all of that um, that cash uh, equally to their artists on a on a prorated basis in wow. terms of like how many streams they got or what, what. I don't know how they calculated it, but uh, you know. So so one of the the things that you know I, I've been spending the last you know few months kind of really figuring out what I wanted to do on this podcast. You know how I wanted to make it something that I, I enjoyed that, that was unique to me and, and felt, uh, authentic. And, you know, I, I, I kind of understood that, you know, not everybody that, that, that listens to my music or, or, you know, is already a subscriber to me is necessarily interested in, in finance. Maybe they're music people, you know, but these things all coexist. And I, I thought about that when I got that check from Warner Music, they gave me essentially my capital gains on the the Spotify position that they were holding on my behalf, right? And that's so dope. And so yeah, but but I also thought of it in this in this way where I was like, you know, all these other artists on their repertoire are getting this check, and you know might not even know, you know they, they might not even see it. You know, a lot of artists don't even look at their own royalty statements, and you know the music industry is just, a, you know, there's a lot of of people who aren't necessarily, uh, you know, kind of aware of, of some of these, you know, financial things that are going on. And so it's a, it's a, uh, a world where there's a lot of predatorial behavior where there's, you know, business managers coming in and like, for example, you, you come from the world of finance. So, um, you know, when you manage someone's money in the financial world, you charge one, 2% at the most. Right. But when you manage someone's money in the, in the music business world, you charge 5%. And that that's extremely unfair, but you know, musicians will accept that because they, they don't know any better. And so I, I part of me with, when starting this show and, you know, uh, just wanted to talk to a wide variety of people, people like you is, you know, I just, I kind of wanted to just start talking about some of these concepts. So people are a little bit more aware, especially if there are other independent artists or up and coming artists that are listening or whatever, 
to just have some sort of fundamental understanding of some of these financial concepts because, you know, it's there, right? And so, you know, if you had gotten that um, Spotify check, you know, first of all, uh, that's a long-term capital gain. You should have paid capital gains tax on it, not, you know, royalty tax on it, but, you know, maybe a lot of people didn't do that. And also, you know, you could have reinvested that and continued to let, you know, let it ride. Or, you know, maybe you didn't want to sell. Like, maybe you could have told Warner Music, like, I don't want to sell my Spotify stock. Just give me the stock, right? And so, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it just made me think. And, and so when I started, you know, putting the, um, the, the whole plan together for this show, I just decided that I wanted to talk about all that stuff to just kind of let people know that, that, you know, this is the world we're in. Yeah. Couldn't agree more, bro. Yeah, man. Um, yeah. And yeah, holding that Spotify stock would have been an epic move. And actually, one thing I wa really wanted your take on is like, to me, Spotify is like a baby. Like what they could do for independent musicians is just nowhere near like what it could be. And I'm curious about this idea of investing in your favorite artist. This is like a moonshot I made of like, what if I want to put money towards Cam Meekin's next project? Like I can help you pay for studio time, videos, whatever. And then I can get a cut back of those royalties on the Spotify platform. Like kind of securitizing your music in a kind of Kickstarter 2.0 way, but just all on Spotify feels like huge potential. So I'm curious if you've thought about something like that. Oh, totally. Well, so you, you may or may not know there's so much disruption happening in that, in that world of music royalties, people buying in, obviously, you know, you know, you know about Patreon and like all these other platforms, only fans, like there's, there's, there's all these kind of interesting dynamics that are happening in the idea of like paying your favorite content creators to create content. And then there's also this music industry, um, private equity phenomenon that's happening where people are looking at music catalogs as a financial asset that, you know, you can buy into and, and, and even potentially trade. Um, and so there's companies like royalty exchange and, uh, a bunch of other companies that are starting to kind of securitize, um, music royalties, and then there's companies like Patreon and, 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 and other companies where if you're an artist, you can start to get, you know, more consistent revenue just interacting directly with your fan base. So there's like all of these different ways that this is happening. And it would only make sense that over time that would consolidate into one, uh, you know, cohesive idea, right? And maybe Spotify could hold all of that stuff, right? Like you could pay monthly to your favorite artists via Spotify and get, you know, exclusive music, exclusive merchandise, you know, live streams yeah. with them, whole bunch of stuff. Like why, why do I have to have one thing on Patreon, you know, sell my royalty assets through royalty exchange and, you know, sell my music on Spotify and, and it's all kind of fragmented and all over the place. Uh, I could, I could totally see, you know, shout out to the moonshot, you know, this, this idea where that all comes together. And I, I think, you know, I, I've got a lot of ideas as to like I, where I think Spotify is going. I mean, I, I, it feels like to me they're, they're going to kind of compete, um, on a video level too, you know? And I think that goes back to this idea of kind of, you know, when we were talking about like the MP3 and, and all this stuff, it's much more, you know, doable now to have video, um, capability in, in, in a less, um, you know, less data, uh, way where I think a company like, or, you know, an application like Spotify can, can provide video in such a easy way now that they might start to compete with Netflix and YouTube and, and everything else. And obviously you're just seeing that with like the Joe Rogan podcast where they're having the full video on, on Spotify now, obviously eventually you would think they're going to roll that out to, to everybody. Right. 
Um, totally. So, and yeah. it's also like, you know, why can't they pick a dozen artists and just start doing this? Like start dropping the exclusive merch, start let, you know, I think it's, this is like, I'm waiting for this news to drop. It's, you know? yeah, it's really interesting. And, but Spotify is an interesting one though, because they, they, you know, they, they have kind of in the past, I think kind of like, you know, thrown a bunch of stuff at the wall and seen what stick, what sticks. Um, and again, this is what I was saying. Like, I, I feel like I know Spotify's, you know, inner workings more than, you know, any, any wall street stakeholder in, in Spotify, because, you know, one thing they were doing for a while, which I think I even talked to you about at one point on the phone was like, they were doing, um, you can upload directly through Spotify and Spotify was going to pay you royalties directly. And so mm-hmm. they were beta testing this thing where artists can, um, upload their music directly to Spotify and just bypass the distributor. So you don't need to use a tune core or a record label or anything like that. You can go straight to Spotify. And for a while, you know, three, four or five years ago, everyone was talking about how like Spotify is going to start signing artists. Spotify is going to start, you know, uh, signing artists to deals. And, uh, you know, I don't think that that has happened yet, nor maybe will ever happen because, you know, they don't want to step on the toes of these licensing agreements with these, with these old catalogs. So as long as universal and, you know, Warner Chapel publishing and all these huge publishing companies own the, the music, uh, of the past, Spotify is not going to do anything to, to, you know, um, get into a, uh, complicated situation with them because they want to license that music because if they don't have the catalogs of all of the music in the world, they're no longer valuable. Yeah. And it feels like five years ago they were bullying Spotify. Now it slowly feels like Spotify is going to start bullying them. For which sure. I think has been slow kind of indication of that transition of power. For sure. But, it, but the, the thing that they're holding on to is, is that they still own the historical music. You know, they the, still the, basically got Spotify. That's the thing. It's yeah. such a like delicate game that Daniel X playing, I feel like. Right. And I, I feel like the winner in all this is the artist. To no, really the, tie it back like, to what you're doing. Yeah. Like, you know, I think that is the value of music is extremely underpriced, but that's changing in five years, you know? Absolutely. We are, and I know you've said this before too. There's no reason that, you know, an album needs to be what an album is. There's, you know, music is changing. Um, obviously we've seen all the various changes in music over the last few years. And now TikTok is, is one of the biggest ways to discover music. And, you know, um, people who are, who are welcoming that with open arms and are taking advantage of that as independent artists and just trying to create and work within the Spotify system to just make music and have fun are the ones that are winning. And that's a beautiful thing. I think it's democratized the way that people can become successful. Uh, you don't need a label, you know, you can just do stuff from your house. It's, it's an amazing time. So I completely agree with you on the concept that like, this is the best time in the world to, to be around, to be creative, to, to, you know, get your content out there, whether you're a musician, whether you're doing something like you're doing, you know, this is, this is the best time to do it, uh, so far. And so, um, you know, I know that, uh, he caught a lot of, uh, heat for saying, uh, you know, artists need to get with the program and just, you know, stop thinking that they can make one album a year and then it's all going to be good. And I get that. I mean, you know, on the one side, I'm an artist and it's, it's hard to hear <laughs> a, a executive tell you something about something that's creative. But on the other hand, it's not wrong. It's not wrong. And there are, there are people out there who are willing to do it. You know, guys like my homie Chris Webby and, you know, uh, obviously like Russ was a pioneer of like that whole, that whole concept. And, you know, I've done that a lot in my career is just, you know, consistently put out a ton of music and that, uh, that model works with, with the, 
the platform that we that we currently have. And these things will change over time, but you just have to have your kind of um, ear to the street on what's going on and, and just continue to find new ways to, to work within it. And I imagine it's the same thing with, with, with YouTube and what you're doing too. You know what I mean? You, you have to be aware of, you know, the way that people are consuming content. And, you know, when you run a media company as, as you do, if, if it's okay for me to frame it in that way, you know, um, you, you want to be aware of that. And I, I'm curious, I guess maybe how, that's a good question for you. You know, how, how do you see, um, you know, what, what you're, you're doing with, with YouTube, do you, do you really kind of look at it in, in a very kind of thought out way or is it just this, 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 um, you know, platform where you, where you like to just, you know, kind of be yourself and, 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 uh, not try and, you know, think too much about the stuff that you're putting out and just kind of, you know, go with the, the flow of what's happening in, in your world and what you want to talk about. Yeah, I mean, it's super a, a document, not create strategy for me. So it's very like, what's in my world? I don't even know my next video is going to be, you know, I don't, I probably should be planning it out more. But but YouTube, the way I kind of think of myself as a creator is just the same way I would think about you and music. It's like, okay, I'm making money on YouTube now with YouTube ads. Uh, Patreon is even bigger than YouTube. But then I have, you know, huge presence on Twitter that's growing. I, we do a little Instagram. I'm totally sloughing on TikTok, but I should be there too. Uh, you know, we do Spotify with the audio only version of the podcast. So I think there's, and I'm not really, I'm only getting paid for two of those. I'm about to drop my merch thing. Like, I just think it's, it's so exciting. Cause I still think I'm still being so under, like I'm paying my bills now, which I love. And I feel so privileged, but I'm like deep down and I'm like, bro, this is so underpaid. Like, the, like, you know, Instagram's going to roll up monetization. The audience just gets bigger. Like the amount of what I'm doing with like my VC firm with uh hyperguap, I think is so unique of like leveraging my audience to just piggyback on investments with me. Like, so not related to YouTube, but also so related to YouTube because I built my whole audience there. And that's the audience I'm porting over uh, for my investing kind of stuff. So I, you know, when we go back to like, it's just your creativity. Like it's such a good time to be in this kind of artist. And I look at what, what you do very similarly. Like I put out a file that's an mp4 file and it's an mp3 when i do the podcast that's the same thing you're doing it's just totally different but we're both trying to get people to listen to it or whatever you 100%. know and so yep. for people in that business um to me it's the holy grail of like i'm not making stuff i'm not you know cranking out like a blacksmith making swords every day like i make this one thing and i have the click of a button it can be distributed to the whole wide world and so that is like I think about that every day and like, that's why I love my investing ideas, but I wanted to like stand up comedy. I really wanted to get into that before like the whole pandemic and try and do that. And I just think like, like making beats, I've started to make beats for some of my videos. Like these, as much as they're totally different from what I do, I see them as actually being so similar and kind of adjacent and like my next creative moves. Well, yeah. And so, no, if you finish your thought. Yeah. So I just, I, I just feel like I convince every single one of my homies to start a YouTube channel. That's like my pitch to everybody. It's like, bro, like be yourself, put yourself online. Like I just can't even fathom the like conversations that you'll have, the people you'll meet, the ways your life will change. And so as I just really believe it, even if it's corny and like whatever, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I don't even think we've scratched the surface at like the world we're going to live in where we just, you know, everybody's, you know, if they, if they want to, they can create, you know, a platform and, you know, you can have, um, a following for whatever the, the topic is, there's, there's a, there's a niche out there for you. Right. Um, I'm curious how you got into making beats though. I, I love that, man. Dude. Yeah. I, that's been a big, like, you know, I always love music and like, I even made a garage band mixtape with my friend in fifth grade for our parents. So like as our Christmas present, that's so how I started them a Christmas present. <laughs> I love that. Uh, but yeah, just like always loved hip hop and like, you know, just kind of lost that when I got in the finance game and like, I don't know if I always felt like I had like 
like I would start clothing brands. I started like four t-shirt companies that all failed, you know? And like, it's, it's, and I always had like a homie who was the designer. Like I was like, I was the business guy, never the art guy. Mm -hmm. And it was always like me trying to also do the designs, but like I needed a homie to be the designer to validate it. Like, I don't know. It was just this weird creative block of like, I was a business person, not a creative person. And that was really blocking me into what I was doing. And so I've just kind of recently had that real kind of like moment of like, no, like I am that creative artistic person as well. Like, and I love music. And and I think as much as my videos are informative about news, like I view them as art too. And like, you know, they're my poetic rants or whatever, but like, I want to put my own beats to them. I only use my homies beats until, uh, you know, I started taking like uh, private Ableton classes, like kind of for fun, like three years ago. Yep. And I loved it. And so like got a private teacher or whatever and like started making beats. And now three years later, like I finally felt like, feel like I'm good enough to put my beats in my own videos. And like, my favorite thing is like people almost don't even notice. They're like, dude, this was such a fire video. And I'm like, you don't even know that it was all like my beats I produced from scratch. Like, and it just seemed like it was a dope video. You didn't even notice it was like some DIY shit, you know? So yeah. that makes me feel like so good in some ways. But um, that's kind of a weird way as a creator that I've invested into myself with zero ROI and nobody even noticing or caring. I have 16 followers on SoundCloud, but it really like that's one way that my my content's kind of evolved recently that I'm really happy about. Well, it's vertical integration too, right? You know, you got this closed loop type of situation. If you're producing the video, they're producing the music behind it. You know, you're doing you're doing all the the, the content. I mean, I, I love that. It's the same, you know, yeah. That, that's what I've built my whole my whole world on is just trying to kind of keep everything as in house as possible because um, I just think that things are more authentic when it's when it's like that. You know, I I think yeah. that you know you're what you're doing can feel more authentic because it's it's your music that you envision to to be you know the backtracking to what you're you're doing that's that's super cool were you ever like playing musical instruments growing up at all or did you just this is a relatively um oh uh i pl- so i played trumpet in third grade and then like uh f- by fifth grade everyone gets to advanced of their instrument i was like the one fifth grader who got put in intermediate and like never got pushed up and then I, I i had to get into choir my like my uh in high school for my art credit and i remember they were like told me i was tone deaf and they even like they tried to let me beatbox for a little and then like i sucked at that too so they just like were like god just like be quiet you know right but i did so i feel like i was never like uh i don't know but it's just recently like i've always loved the hip-hop and beat side of it and like been just a fan of that as like i love kanye west and like vertical integration like the, I, I have so much respect for Kanye West because everything he does is a new sound and he makes the beats and like it's just such his pure creative vision and whether you can hate on that or not like to me I'll score an album on whether how pure that creative vision of that artist was and how 100%. bold and unique that was and to me that's why like I, I really like you know so that's like with your video my videos I want to do vertical integration and like like for this uh like electric boat company I invested in I made this super dope documentary about them that I was like making this beat where I was overlooking like Lake Union, which is where their startup is and they have these electric boats. And I like composed this whole beat and like, it's called floaty and that's the beat with them. And I got to like send them like, I'm like, how many of your investors like not only made you a documentary, but also made you like a beat to go with it, like just inspired by how dope you were. And so I don't know if that's the future, but like, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's kind of like my special gift that I give to companies now is I'm like, bro, if your video was dope enough, like, and I was inspired enough, I really like wanted to give you this as an extra present that you can do whatever with. Hell yeah. I love <laughs> that, dude. I love that, man. Um, so I, I think I got, I got one last kind of big, big question for you. So, um, you know, if, if you were, if you were kind of ruling, uh, ruling the world right now, how, how would you, uh, expedite the, the hyper change that, that you're talking about, um, you know, 
do you see uh, things like the traditional fossil fuel industry and you know all these all these forces as these stop gaps to the change that you're talking about? Um, how do we how do we get people more um, aligned on this on this vision that you know people like you and the Elon Musk's of the world have? What what's your magic wand approach? Dude, I big question. That is such a tough question. I'm like, more people paying attention to Elon Musk, I think it's half of it. Just general positivity and optimism, I feel like is what people can do on their own level. But like, if you put me in government, like I'm immediately taxing fossil fuels, subsidizing green energy, uh, mm. promoting reforestation, um, you know, wildlife at all costs, we're protecting that. Um, I'm immediately federally legalizing marijuana, taxing that. That'll be a massive new revenue stream, funding it all into education, make our teachers extremely highly paid, uh, put our teachers on a pedestal in terms of society as that should be way more important than fucking Goldman Sachs guy. You know what I mean? And I just think there's kind of a rethinking of, of that. And a big opportunity I see in the world, I don't know how to describe this, but like community. This is something I think about a lot. Communities lost. And I think that's why we all get caught up in this group Twitter think and a lot of people feel lost about their purpose because in the past, like if you're in this tiny village, everyone knows each other, like you wake up on the street, everyone says, what's up? Like, I feel like I don't have that. And no one in America has this like cool little community anymore. So that's a big problem that I would, I would want to change as well. Um, I also think like cars suck and the fact that our <laughs> cities are hideous, like it's all cement everywhere. Architecture is garbo. Like we should be giving way more money to like beautiful, like let's, everybody should go to Rome. Like I'm Italian, you know, I love Rome. Like let's, let's everybody take a trip to Rome, get inspired and like, let's build some, something beautiful that we can be proud of. That's incredible. Like, I don't know. I feel like, uh, art is really suffering, creativity is suffering, like, and that's leaching into the negativity of society. And so that's why I love Patreon. And I have the CEO of Patreon on my podcast. I'm like, bro, you're creating the second Renaissance artists are getting paid. This is like the spark of creativity our society needs. So, uh, I don't know. I don't, there's no magic wand though. I wish I had a better answer. And I, I also think the sustainable sort of micro housing unit, that's sustainable energy to make everyone who is homeless have somewhere to live. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I just, I just want to hear you talk about these ideas because of course there's no magic, ma magic wand. But I think when we have these conversations, we, we maybe move a little bit farther down the field. Right. Um, totally. We should be thinking about it. Yeah. Everyone should be thinking like, honestly, now I'm like, that was a great question. Like, yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm just curious cause I think there's so much, uh, you know, back and forth about kind of just like the, the, you know, random day to day stuff. But when you kind of take a step back and, and look objectively, like how do we, how do we really get there? Like, you know, the, the, you know, the, the possibilities are there, you know? And, and I think it, it starts with, with talking about it and, and theorizing it and, and, you know, having visionaries, you know, uh, on, on many different levels. And I think you're, you're one of those people. And, and yeah, I, I appreciate having this conversation, man. And shout out to Italy too, because I was in Italy last summer and that was the best trip of my life, man. Italy is fucking beautiful. Yeah. Hell yeah. Dude, I'm so honored to be on this show, bro. It's, it's, this has been such a fun, uh, scheme sesh and I do love to make moonshot predictions. And mine is that this podcast is going to be huge for you. Dude. And I think you got a real knack for podcasting and you're going to be really good at it. And like, I'm just pumped that you're kind of launching a new type of content format. I think it's going to be dope. Thank you, brother. I appreciate that. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to work out the kinks. I'm trying to, uh, you know, just kind of figure it out. And, and so, you know, like I said, I appreciate you being one of the early guests, uh, kind of, you know, just figuring this out with me. And, and, and I had a lot of fun doing it, man. So it means a lot coming from you, man. Hyperchange, one of my biggest inspirations, Galileo Russell, the man, the myth, the legend. Appreciate you having, Dude, appreciate you coming on, th man. Thank you so much, bro. Yes, Honored sir. to be here. Peace.